Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Sometimes in the body of Christ, there are things that God's called you to do. And you're looking at what somebody else is called to do and you want to do that. But you're not called to do that. You're called to do what God called you to do. And that's why it's so important to get information from the Lord, to get a call. Whatever God's called you to do, you want to get it from Him. There'll be a lot of people who want to tell you, well, I think you should do this. I think you'll be great at that. You, you're going to be a preacher. You'll be this. You'll be that. That's, that's wonderful. But you need to get it from the Lord. Chances are you're familiar with the old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Unfortunately, many of us as believers can fall in this type of mental trap when it comes to ministry and serving the Lord. In today's message, Pastor Bill discusses the importance of filtering your desires through the will of the Lord rather than what others are doing. In his study, you'll learn that by regularly seeking God's will, you'll be far more effective for his kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. It was God's idea first. God said, I want to possess you. I want to put my spirit upon you. I want to put my spirit out. I want to possess you, but in a great way. I want, I, want, I want to move in. I want you to allow me to move into you that I would fill your life. You'd have power that's from me. Vision that's from me. Ability that's from me. That you might do great things for me. And Satan says, oh yeah? I'm going to take that and flip it. I'm going to make it something vile and ugly and nasty. I want to possess people too. And I want to possess them to ruin them, to kill them, to destroy them, to work through them. And so don't forget that, that God wants to possess you. But it's not a wicked possession. God wants to fill your life up because there are things that I'm incapable of doing in my own might, my own strength. But God will fill me with his power, with his spirit, enable me to do what I can never do in my own strength. And then when I'm doing what I can never do in my own strength, who gets the glory? He does. Like, God, you, you, you told me to do it. You empowered me to do it. You used me to do it. And, and then it's something I, 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 I glorify you and I'm even rewarded for, for just being available, being a vessel that God can fill and use the way he wants. Everybody here can be that. You guys, everybody here can be a vessel God will fill and use. It's, it's about being yielded to him, letting him have his way. And so, again, these, these men were picked and they were going to be used by the Lord in this way. It says in verse 17, then Moses and Aaron took the men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month. And they recited their ancestry by family, by their father's house, according to the number and above each one individually. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, what we're going to do from verse 20, if you're taking notes, you can take out a little pen and write this down from verse 20 to verse 46. I'm not going to read through all these. Um, I'm going to tell you how many people were represented from each tribe. So you look at verse 20. We're looking at the tribe of Reuben. It says, now the children of Reuben. And it says, in Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their family, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. That's the only time I'm reading it. It's the same thing every single time with each guy, that same little section. So Reuben, it says there were 46,500. Look at verse 22, Simeon. 
From Simeon, there were 59,300. From verse 24, Gad. From Gad, there were 45,650. Verse 26, from Judah, there were 74,600. Verse 28, from Ishakar, 54,400. Verse 30, Zebulun, there were 57,400. And remember, Joseph had his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So from the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, there was uh, from Ephraim, there was 40,500. And from Manasseh in verse 34, there were 32,200. Verse 36, for Benjamin, there were 35,400. Verse 38, from Dan, there were 62,700. We almost there. Verse 40. From Asher, there were 41,500. And in verse 42, from Naphtali, there were 53,400. And so look at verse 44. It says, these are the ones who were numbered, who Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, Verse 46, all who were numbered, 603,550. And then verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. So now let's go and break that down. So we have, this is the group of people, the large number, verse 46, that's everybody all together that's able to go to war. This is what Israel's working with. As we come into numbers, we've numbered the people. This is how many men we have that are able to go to war. Um, 603,550 men. That's what we got to work with. So that's not the number of Israel altogether, but that's the number of men, age 20 and up, who are able to go to battle, go to war. That's a pretty sizable army. That's a good number of people. We're going to find out that their strength will never be in their numbers. Anybody that's read through your Bible, you realize that God's not really necessarily, you know, it, the number that they have didn't matter. I could have been a lot of them. It could have been a few of them. Um, many times God would gain victory through little, through few. Um, the Bible says that it's the, the weak thing. God uses the weak things to confound the wise. And so when you look at Gideon and God making him continually cut the number of people down to where he was left with just 300 guys to go against thousands. And God said, because if you had too many guys, you guys would look back and say, we did this. We bad. But with 300, you're going to know it was just me. And some of us have been in predicaments that God has allowed where we know this won't work unless it's God. It'll have to be the Lord. And sometimes God does that because he knows our weakness. He knows if we think we did it in our own strength, we'll start filling ourselves. We'll start puffing out our chest. We'll start telling people, you know what I did. And, you know, we'll, we'll, our testimony won't have no God in it. You know what I did? I was, I, I was there too one day and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I went out there and I got it taken care of. You know, there won't be no God, no humility. And that'll ruin you. That's what ruins Satan, pride. So, guys, I leave you guys many times in a place where you're desperate for me to do something. And then I do it. And you just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You'd be thankful for the Lord. I could have never done it without you. And that's where he wants us to be, um, just humbled and thankful. And so this is the number. These are the people. Now we have the Levites. Uh, we just finished Leviticus, so we learned all about the Levites. And one thing unique about the Levites, they weren't supposed, they're not going to be going to war. They had a different job. Um, they were going to be the ones in charge of the spiritual aspect, which is critical. Guys, I can't have you guys out there getting slaughtered in battle. I need you guys here. When they get back, 
I need you guys to be here offering sacrifices, setting up tabernacle, moving things around where it needs to be. I got a plan and a job for you guys that's a little different. And so look at verse 47. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribes. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. So I want to show you this. God tells the, the, the Levites, he says, you guys, I'm, I, want, I have a plan for you guys right here. I'm going to use you for my glory here. My plan for you is different. What if the Levites would have said, oh, man, but everybody else is going to war. I want to do war stuff. What if, what, if, what if they didn't like what they were called to do, right? What if the Levites were looking at everybody else get counted and get ready for war? Everybody was getting their swords, you know, all sharpened up and they were getting whatever they did in the, in the army to get ready for war. What if there was a Levite saying, but I want to do that. God said, I called you to do this. Sometimes in the body of Christ, there are things that God's called you to do. And you're looking at what somebody else is called to do. and You want to do that. But you're not called to do that. You're called to do what God called you to do. And that's why it's so important to get information from the Lord, to get a call. Whatever God's called you to do, you want to get it from him. There'll be a lot of people want to tell you, well, I think you should do this. I think you'll be great at that. You, you're going to be a preacher. You'll be this. You'll be that. That's, that's wonderful. But you need to get it from the Lord. God, what have you called me to do? You saved me. You shed your blood for me. I belong to you. Tell me what to do with this life of mine that you might be glorified through. What's my role? What's my place? What's my call that I might walk in it? And then when you start walking in your role, don't lust after someone else's. Right within the body of Christ, I got to appreciate all the different gifts and callings. You know, I got I'm, I got to stay in my lane. I'm called to teach and to minister the word. Um, I can't be looking at Carlos ministry, even though I like to sing a little bit saying, you know, well, Lord, I want to do that, too. And then then looking at somebody else's thing. Well, I want to do that, too. God's like, I, I gave you something to do. Do that faithfully. Do that good. Be good at that. Give yourself completely over to that. That's what Paul told Timothy. Give yourself entirely to it. And I would ask everybody here to consider your own life. And is there something that you can say with the clarity? God's given me to do this. What, what do you have that you can say for the Lord? God, I'm giving, I give myself entirely to this. I know for sure. There may be more, but I know for sure you've given me this to do. And I'm doing that with all my heart. I'm offering this to the body of Christ. I'm, I'm serving you in this way on a regular. Um, there should be something for all of us. It was very clear for them. These guys, they're going to war. You guys going to serve in the tabernacle. You're going to set it up, tear it down. They're going to be servants. And I'll tell you this, there's nobody in the body of Christ that don't have a place to stay. There's, not, there's no one saved God's spirit living in you that doesn't have a, a call and a function in the body. There's something for all of us to do in the body. Uh, several, it was many, many months ago now, we did a whole series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you guys, if you weren't there, you missed those, and you go back through and listen to them. And we went through all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, um, and just how they function, how they edify the body. Every gift is for the edifying of the body and for the glory of God. And so God's given every believer at least one. Some people have many giftings, uh, but there's something we can do that would edify the body and glorify God. And we want to seek the Lord for what that is, that we might edify the body and glorify God often. Amen. Amen. So moving on, it says um, against the Levites. Their job was going to be to offer the look of verse 50, but you shall appoint Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, over all its furnishings, over all the things that belong to it. 
They shall carry the tabernacle, all its furnishings, and they shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So God says, look, Levites, your job is going to be this tabernacle was the it wasn't the they didn't have the physical temple yet, but they had this. It was like a tent. Um, and, you know, we had the, they had the furnishings made for it and it had to be torn down and put up. Every, so when they had to move camp, they had to tear down and move everything. And then they, their job was to set it back up. And so they were the, the that was work. They were laboring. And then once it was torn down and set back up, they had to put all the furnishings in this place. They had to make sure the bread was where it went, make sure that everything was where it was supposed to be. And it was going to be the place where, again, God did business and dealt with his people. It was very specific how it was to be set up. All of that. God said, Levites, that's your gig. You guys make sure that thing is right. You make sure that people got a place to meet with me. When they get set up, you make sure you set up shop. And there's a place for them to do business with me. There's a place for offerings. There's a place for sacrifices. There's a place for them to worship me in these ways. You guys make sure that's made available. That's your job. I find it important that God would say, it's so important that people meet with me that I've set aside a group of men that this is what they're to do with their entire life. Make sure that wherever my people go, there's a place for them to meet with me. It's that big of a deal to me. New Testament, right? It's also important that we gather together, we meet. And so you know, I'm always weary of the, the Christian that feels like, you know, I just kind of do my own thing. I worship God in the field. I go to the beach and worship. Like they don't need the body of Christ. God ain't never called anybody to an isolated. God's always calling people to come together. Come together and worship me. New Testament, I mean, first thing God did was went out and started making disciples. Follow me, follow me, follow me. They, they, and they had to do it together. A group of different type of men that had to serve him together. You had Peter the fisherman. Peter's like the, the, the rough guy, gangster disciple. John the Beloved, laying on Jesus' bosom, all sweet and everything. You know, you had, you had all these different kind of characters and God's all you guys. J you know, J uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, Jesus called them. You had all these different characters. You guys come follow me. And you guys follow me together. Then you come to the New Testament, get to the book of Acts. Same thing all over again. You got rugged Paul. You got Peter. You got Barnabas, the son of encouragement. You got all these different guys. Once again, God said, come serve me together. And then what they were doing as they served God together was calling other people to come together and serve God. So it I'd always feel a little strange for the person that feels like I'm going to serve God alone. No, you're not. You're serving yourself. God didn't isolate anybody, right? The only time I see people isolated, you look at David and what's he doing? Pouring out his heart to the Lord. There may be moments, there may be seasons, but God has called us to come together. And so it was such a big deal for them then, God said, look, I got a group of people that are going to make sure it's not going to happen that you guys move. And you say, there was nowhere for us to gather. No, I got a group of men that that's their life calling. Set that thing up so they can come worship. And so if it's that big of a deal to the Lord, I think it ought to be a big deal to us that we come together regularly and we fellowship and we burn together. And that you look at the whole goal of fellowship is that. It, it's when we come together like this is that in, in, in Hebrews uh, 10, 24 and 25 says that we might encourage one another in love and in good work. So one thing happens when we come together is there's an encouragement that happens. You hang out with some people that are on fire for the Lord and you might be just listening to what God's doing in their life and you'd be so encouraged. They, even, they, they didn't exhort you. They didn't tell you you need to. You just are listening to what God's doing. I'm going to go home and read my Bible. I'm going to go. I mean, it's just encouraging. When you have genuine fellowship, 
It's such an, it's a spiritual encouragement. You get a spiritual lift and a boost. And sometimes you're the one giving it. And sometimes you're the one receiving it. But it has to, we have to come together for that to take place. That dynamic can't happen at home by myself. We got to come together, burn together. And I'm not saying it only at church. I've had in, interactions with people over the telephone. We're fellowshipping and it was rich. I get off the phone. I'm encouraged. I'm going to go tell somebody something about the Lord. I mean, you know, you just get off the phone and it was just an edifying, encouraging conversation, close with some prayer. And, you know, so it, it, we could do that in many different ways, but we want to make it a point. It's that big of a deal to the Lord. We want to make sure that we're taking advantage of it, and that we're participating in it in a regular way. So the Levites, that was going to be their job everywhere that they went. Verse um, 50. Oh, I'm sorry. In the end of verse 51, it says, and. The, outside, the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. There was, within the tabernacle, there was places where it was set aside who could come in. Everybody couldn't just come up in there. And if an outsider, non-believer, pay, if they, if they came in, they were going to be put to death. Anybody couldn't just enter in. And that was God's ruling. Anybody couldn't just walk up in there. It wasn't, this wasn't for everybody. Um, now, this would, we wouldn't liken this to the church. We wouldn't say, well, and back there, you couldn't just roll up in the tabernacle in the old kind of way. So anybody come up in here, we don't know. We're going to put them down. That's not, what it's, that's not what we do. But this is important, right? Entering into God's presence was back here. They recognized that, was, that God was holy. Uh, we know that in the, in the, what was called the Holy of Holies, only one man could go in there behind the veil one time, once a year. And if he wasn't right, what happened? Die because God is holy. Not because God is mean, because God is holy. And there's some things that can't enter into his presence. And if that man wasn't clean, if he hadn't cleansed properly, if he wasn't right, and he walked into the presence of a holy God, he died. And that's why they tied a rope with some bells on. Every once in a while he needed to shake a leg and let him know, I'm all right now. You know, but if if if, if it fell silent and they said, You all right? They wasn't going in to get him. They were pulling that rope on out. He didn't make it. Next. <laughs> How would you want to be the next one? <laughs> How would it feel to be the, the, you're the next priest in line for duty. Um, you know, I hope you was right. I hope you was there. So we realized that God is holy. And he said the outsider to come in, they would be put to death. There's to be a reverence for the Lord. And because we're living in the age of grace, uh, many times people lose that. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So just because he's not going to smoke you on the spot. And you're not going to die. Don't forget that he's holy. That we would come before him. There'd be a holy reverence. That there would be a fear of the Lord. Not a fright. Not a terror. But just a fear of the Lord. God, there's a reverence, a respect. Um, That's why I hate them t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Because I feel like it demotes Jesus down to some some street level friend I had when I wasn't even walking with the Lord. He's my homeboy. I know the Bible says that he's our friend. You know, but he's God. I'm not wearing no shirt that say he my homeboy. I got it's a holy God. I'm afraid of that shirt. When I see it, I think the people that made it probably don't even know the Lord, and the people that wear them don't know it that well. Um, but he's a holy God. He's not a toy. He's not something that you play around with. He's, he, he's still holy and to be reverenced. Um, yeah, there's no fright or terror because God is my friend and God loves me and there's grace and there's mercy and all of that. But He is a holy God. I've never seen in Scripture. Where someone got into the presence of God where they didn't just fall down. So when I see that, people, when they were aware that they were in his presence, that they just boom, they hit the deck. There's a, there's a fear, there's a reverence. Um, I'm saying this, I haven't been there yet, 
But when I look at those that have, I recognize that they know right away that that I'm, I'm nothing in this. I'm, I'm humble. I'm a, it's a, a humble position. That's how we need to be walking out before the Lord. Amen. Last little section here, verse 52, it says, the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus, the children of Israel did according to all that Mo all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. And so we end chapter one on a good note. Everything Moses told them to do, they did. I'm going to tell you right now that as we continue through the book of Numbers, I wish that the whole book went that way. Um, I wish the whole book of Numbers went that way, that what God told them to do, they did. It starts off that way, but it doesn't continue that way. Some people's relationship with the Lord started like that. There was a moment where you, you met the Lord and you were encouraging the Lord. And in the beginning, what God said, do you did it. Radical obedience. And it was probably as a result of the radical obedience, there was radical blessing on your life. But you didn't continue that way. And you don't continue that way. That's a, it's a thing of the past. You used to be radically obedient. You used to just do whatever he said do, but not anymore. And just like I read this here and I think, wow, it starts so wonderful, but it ends so horrible. What happened? They didn't continue to do it this way. And so as not to beat you down if you find yourself in that predicament. If you, gotta, if you look back and say, you know what, the, the best season of my walk with the Lord is not right now. I got to look backwards at it. I'm going to give you a remedy for it. What do you do if the best time in your walk with the Lord is a time past? If you spend all your testifying of God's work in your life been many, many years ago, um, what do you do? How do you get back? Is it possible? Can you get back? Um, and I would just say right up front, God's grace is, is more than his grace, his mercy, the blood of Christ, everything you need to make it back is available. And I'm going to give you something he told the church of Ephesus. It's in um, Revelation chapter two and it's verse five. The church of Ephesus was the church that had left their first love. So the commendations begin in Revelation two with Jesus saying that they were they had good they had good works, that they had patience, that they had. I mean, they had all these things going for them. God told them. Um, that you have persevered, you have patience, you have labored for my namesake and not become weary. They didn't put up with the false apostles and all this different stuff. They, they had a lot going. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. I'm not, I'm not number one anymore. And I love this about Jesus, you guys. Jesus never points out our flaws and walks away. Jesus don't say, you really messed up bad. Drop the mic and walk away and leave you there feeling bad. He says, you left your first love. And he says, this is the remedy. This is what you do to get back right with me. In verse five, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And he says, and do the first works. And I like to say, remember, repent, and repeat. He says, remember. So look back at when it was great with me. You was in the word. You were witnessing. You had a prayer life. God said, look back, whatever that was like. Look back to that era. Repent. Repenting is making a U-turn. So you walked away at some point, so you make a U-turn now and come back to me. And he says, and then do what you used to do back then. And, and we'll be, he says, do that. And that, that's how I get my walk with the Lord back on track. And I would say this is probably a word for some people in their marriage. Is your marriage jacked up? 
look back at when it was awesome. What, you, what were you doing? We were dating. We were writing notes. We were saying little sweetness. Remember, repent of having walked away. Repeat the first words. It works for your marriage too. But, you know, right here, this is for your walk. This is how you get back right with the Lord. Amen. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that He taught them are the same ones He teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for Him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what He's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that He was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.